calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 38. Two. Tanya dragged herself up the stairs of the apartment building, moving against the flow of the early morning workers headed to their factories and desks. The world felt far too normal after everything she'd endured. How could these people carry on? unmarred by fear of the chaos to come? How could they smile and laugh and trade little barbs as if they were not living on borrowed time under the threat of the flame's terrible plans? Nadia opened the door before Tanya even knocked. Boje moi. Nadia scrunched up her nose. You look like... Shit, yes, I know. No, I've seen you look like shit before. Nadia stood back to let her enter. This, this is something else entirely. Tanya glanced at Nadia's sofa, a threadbare floral life raft. Her every joint ached, screamed at her to sit, but she feared that if she sat, she'd never be able to get back up again. Before you say that you told me so, Tijo, I don't care about that. Nadia gripped her by the shoulders. You are here. For now. Tanya sucked in a ragged breath and closed her eyes. They have the defector, the host. The flame has him. Wait. Nadia had been picking up a mug of coffee. She slowly set it back down. The CIA is flame? Yes. No. One of them is. Tanya pinched the bridge of her nose. Someone in the safe house. He's been in contact with Sasha. I saw a chessboard that was exactly the same as the one Sasha's been playing. 
and the magic that was used. Tanya took a deep breath. One of the Americans is working with the flame. This wasn't an exfiltration op for the Westerners. It was the flame, seizing a host for themselves. Nadia had been wound in a tight ball, but as she listened to Tanya's exhaustion-tinged raving, she slowly unfurled, focused and ready for battle. Tanya locked eyes with her and leaned forward, desperate. Her body pointed like an arrow. Nadia had to believe her. Tanya couldn't prove her claims at all, not with hard evidence and carefully sourced intelligence reports. All she had was her operator's intuition. But keeping a host out of the flame's grasp was too important to leave to chance. And what? Nadia said very carefully. Do you think the ice should do about this? Tanya exhaled. We must stop them from leaving with the host. Leaving? Nadia asked. Tanya nodded. The safe house was a waiting room. They were prepping for exfiltration. Maybe they'll take the host back to America. Maybe not. But wherever they mean to take him, we can be sure what they mean to do with him there. Nadia pressed her lips into a thin line. The fact was, they weren't entirely sure how the flame was using the hosts, only that they were. 36 hosts in the world at a time, representing the 36 elements. No more, no less. And the more of them the flame had at their disposal, the more hosts they placed along the confluences that crisscrossed the globe, the more power they could draw on to fuel their rituals. These were the facts under which the ice operated, ever since whispers of the flame and their dark goals had begun to crackle in recent decades. Then there were the rumors. Tanya was quite certain Nadia did not wish her to hear about them, and every time Tanya had tried to ask her grandfather's construct in the radio, before Sasha had stolen it from her, he'd behaved as if it were beyond his scope. But Tanya knew better. Nadia had told her about the wild eyes of ice operatives who'd witnessed things they wished they hadn't. She'd heard the tight whispers in Barvodnar, that the flame was finding a way to harvest the elementals from their human vessels, plant them into people of their own. It made for a great scary story to tell hosts, to convince them to give themselves over to ice custody. But as a reality, the thought made Tanya's stomach wring itself dry. Tanya rested a hand on Nadia's forearm. Her partner had height on her, and a boxer's easy confidence. But Tanya knew the force behind her chilly stare. I must ask you something, knowing full well that as your subordinate, you need not answer me. A vein throbbed along Nadia's throat. How many hosts does the ice have in custody? Tanya asked. Not just in the barge, here in Prague. How many total? Nadia shrank from Tanya's grip. Not enough. She squeezed her eyes shut. Not nearly enough. Then we could not let the flame have even one more. No. Nadia's voice was tiny, high-pitched. It occurred to Tanya that she'd never seen her friend, her superior and subordinate, without her masks before had never even noticed that the easy bluffer, 
the insouciant seducer of men and women alike, the boxer and jazz aficionado and condemner of all things capitalist even was a mask. But she saw past it now, and it sent a chill worming straight to her heart. Tanya relaxed her fingers, and her hand fell from Nadia's arm. Then I have an idea. Nadia's living room offered few obvious hiding places, but Tanya was a veteran at rooting out dead drops. She kicked up the threadbare Kazak rug and began tapping the edges of floorboards with her toe. One popped up easily, and Tanya knelt to scoop out the contents of the hollow beneath the board. Tangled copper wires, crystals, a collection of vials tightly rubber banded together, all of them sloshing with muddy water and labeled in Nadia's loose script. The it's not my best stash, not by far. Nadia loomed over her. Tell me this plan. You won't like it. Tanya shoved the whole collection of vials into her coat pocket. It requires the American. Nadia swore. You can't be serious. So he's capitalist swine. You think I don't know that? You think I don't wish to strangle him myself for snatching the scientist out from right under our noses? Tanya groaned. We need the power of his elemental if we want a chance of succeeding. We have to try. He hates the flame as much as any of the Isis faithful, perhaps more so, for what they have done to him. You read Winthrop's report, as I did. Pritchard has every reason to want the flame to fail. Nadia worked her jaw back and forth. Fine. So we enlist Mr. Pritchard's assistance, and more importantly, the aid of his little elemental friend. But then what? We storm the airfield? I'm sure they are already well on their way to Washington, or whatever flame depot they're redirecting to. Tanya smiled sweetly. So? We stopped the plane. Nadia flinched, as if slapped. Pritchard will never agree. And the sort of spell it would require. I mean, you've seen the effort it took for us to work the Ostinko protocols a few years ago, and that wasn't nearly as life or death as this could be. Please, we have to try. Get in touch with Winthrop. Let him be the one to persuade Gabe. I'll start gathering components. Winthrop has already pushed counter to the ice's wishes as far as he dares for me. He's too cautious. After what he's done, he wouldn't empower a charm without orders in triplicate from his ice superiors. Nadia barked a dry laugh. <laughs> Even if we can convince him that the American... She stopped abruptly at the sound of a knock on her apartment door. Tanya carefully fastened the cover of her satchel closed, her gaze locked on Nadia's. Should she hide? Should they both hide? The Americans could have agents anywhere, after all. Someone in the KGB, someone like Sasha, sent to stop them. Nadia held up a hand, then wedged the other behind her shabby couch. When she pulled it back out, she was clutching a Makarov pistol. Who is it? She called, her voice pinched and high. Tanya shifted the weight of the satchel to her shoulder and rose silently. Adrenaline burned off all of her exhaustion in an instant. She leaned forward, 
weight on the balls of her feet, an ancient language on her lips. A friend, British accent. Tanya exhaled, and the exhaustion came roaring back. Winthrop. I, um, I'm afraid I might require your help. Nadia returned the Makarov to its hiding place, then moved toward the door. I'm afraid you do. Zarena had been battling a monster of a headache for the better part of the morning, and Alexander Komietsky was not helping matters. You may embarrass me in front of those imbeciles from the university all you like, but this office, Sasha jammed a meaty finger onto his desk, is mine. You have no authority here, none. Even your oobly dog Vanushi husband, should he ever deign to visit the embassy again, is not welcome beyond the doors of this vault. I am the chief of the Residentura, and I will not have you or anybody else meddling in my operations. Zarena popped an aspirin into her mouth and bit down hard, relished the bitter, chalky taste. It tasted no worse than Sasha's grating voice felt. I would never dream of interfering in the KGB's business, Sashenka. I am a diplomat, after all. I have no place in the affairs of spice. Sasha barked a laugh at her, the sound so crisp she nearly flinched. If you are a diplomat, then I am Andrew fucking Carnegie. What did you do, Zarena? The miraculous return of my operative reeks of your meddling. You have kept your star operative and have not humiliated this entire office with your foolish bid to send good men to their deaths over a perceived slight by the Americans. I would say you are sitting quite nicely at the moment, Zarena countered. Sasha ripped a sheet of paper from his typewriter. Flash cable to Moscow station. It is with great sadness that I must report the death of Tatiana Mikhailovna Morozova, who perished attempting to recover a Soviet person or persons who we believe may have been forcibly taken into American custody for their extensive knowledge of the Soviet Union's superior engineering techniques. I authorized no such course of action, fearing for Comrade Morozova's life and instead cautioned her to develop an alternative means to recover the abducted scientist. Sadly, she took it upon herself. Sasha snarled and began to mutilate the sheet of paper. Zarena frowned as the snow of the draft sprinkled down upon her. I needed this. We needed this. The KGB would not have appeared remiss in its efforts to recover the scientist. Our colleagues would have still acquired the component we need, and we'd have rid ourselves of this lying bitch all at once. Zarena held up her palm, smooth, lightly scented with Parisian lotion. Sashenka. He exhaled through his nose, but halted his tirade. Zarena felt her pulse throbbing through the pain of her headache and waited a few moments before she continued. You look at our dear Tanushka, and you see nothing but one of them, an adversary. Someone opposite you on your little boards, yes? Sasha glanced at one of his chessboards. Zarena followed his gaze, and 
after a moment studying the board, saw he was stuck in that particular game. Any move he could make would guarantee a loss. But she has other uses to us. Knowledge, power, a position of some importance, the chance to be a conduit for us, a puppet. And, given her heritage, I am sure she is not without some skill in our arts. Zarena allowed a brief smile to flicker on her lips. It wouldn't do to waste the resources we have at our disposal now, would it? Leave that to the bourgeois capitalists. You know nothing of the workers' struggle, Sasha said, his tone low. Ever since you married him, you've been swaddled in the blood of the exploited. Zarena's anger and rage narrowed into a single point that burned hot inside of her. The metal in her blood was on fire. The gold on her wrists was molten. She was incandescent, her fury liquid and rippling. For one brief moment, she imagined letting Sasha drown in it. Then she drew a slow breath and eased back. I know everything, she said carefully, of what it is to struggle, to strive. Sasha's arms remained folded, but now they appeared more as a shield. I can reshape her, make far better use of her as she is than as a line item on your cable. Zarena rolled her shoulders back with a satisfying crack. I will leave you to your work, but you must leave me to mine. Sasha stared at her for a long moment, then nodded wearily. All the fight seemed to have left him, for now. Zarena knew better than to hope it would last for long. His gaze drifted toward a scroll hanging from his wall, a Japanese landscape of misty mountains and delicate tree branches. One more acquired, he intoned. Zarena smiled. Her headache was lifting. One more acquired. She dissolved the auditory charm protecting the office from eavesdroppers and entered the main residentura vault, then froze. Nadia Ostrokina was at her desk 10 meters away, digging through her drawers, but with the lazy aspect of someone less interested in locating some treasure than in looking busy. It wasn't so early in the morning that she had no business being here, and yet, a flash of gold and yellow in Nadia's hand snagged Zarena's attention. Rather early for you, is it not, comrade? Zarena asked, sidling toward her with a dagger-sharp smile. I shall have to tell the French ambassador his parties are getting too dull. Nadia returned the smile a little too readily. I'm afraid I missed the French party. Wasn't feeling well. Still not, in fact. She bumped her drawer shut with her hip. I was just getting a few things before I returned home. Nadia's hand was still clutched tight around whatever it was that Zarena had glimpsed. The woman was a junior officer, but she spent an awful lot of time around Morozova, Zarena knew, and the possibility couldn't be ignored. Zarena darted forward and snatched Nadia by the wrist. Her thumb found the soft patch between the woman's wrist bones and dug in. 
Nadia yelped and jerked her arm back, but Zarina's grip stayed firm. Comrade, Nadia looked at her with wide eyes. Please. Zarina continued to press. Nadia's fingers popped open in surrender, but no, no ritual components, nothing remotely useful at all. Only the nub of a worn down yellow pencil rested in her palm. We had had a problem with the theft of office supplies in the embassy, Zarena said, keeping her tone sharp. I would hate to think of any Sashenka's officers were responsible. Nadia's brows furrowed, and for a moment, Zarena feared she might see through the lie, might know precisely what she'd really been looking for. But the moment passed, and some of the tension in Zarena's skull eased. She released Nadia with another smile. I apologize for the roughness, but I am sure you understand the importance of protocol. Zarena slipped into her lightweight spring jacket. Do feel better, comrade. Thank you, Nadia murmured, still flustered. Zarena didn't glance back. She had work to do. Island in Frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Three. Prague Station convulsed around Gabe. He hunkered in the records vault, thumbing through files with a flashlight between his teeth, while the usually quiet machine of the CIA station outside broke into a clamor of clicking heels and growling voices and grinding organizational gears. His hands sweated, and he fumbled file tabs. His heart had its own rhythm for assignments, a quick, light patter like a child's sprint. He forced himself to slow, and focus and listen. Panic tightened nerves, spring-loaded the engines of blame. If his colleagues found him here, and his half-baked excuse, wanting to check a lead in Sokolov's file, didn't stick, the best he could hope for was to be held under supervision until long after all chance to stop Dom had passed. Most of the other options involved a bullet in the brain. Somewhere in the world outside the records vault, Frank screamed at Emily. Frank never raised his voice. He didn't need to. But the moment, the whole goddamn op, had gone exceptional. Questions jumped between unwary minds. Spies treasure gossip like caviar. And for once, everyone could talk about their fears. Everyone but Gabe. They asked, had Dominic betrayed them? Had he then been betrayed in turn? Was he sitting pretty in some tropical paradise, laughing around his cigar? Or lying silent in the mud beneath the Voltava's cold waters? Gabe alone knew the truth, but he couldn't say. Nobody else knew, and they compensated by saying everything they suspected at the top of their lungs. This wasn't Gabe's mess, though no doubt someone back at Langley would try to hang it on him anything to avoid tainting Dom. 
and by association, every asset he ever handled, every higher-up who ever tagged him for promotion. Maybe they'd settle on the truth, or a version they could accept without having to understand elementals and hosts and the whole fucked-up witchcraft world. Dom had turned, or started sour. But Gabe wasn't optimistic. He'd been in the service too long. His neck was furthest out. He'd get the knife when the time came, whether they thought they were killing him for treason or gross incompetence. Fine. Let them. He hadn't expected to die in bed since Cairo. But he had to catch Dom and Sokolov, stop them while there was still time. For that, Alistair said, for their ritual, they needed information. Everything we can get on Sokolov, especially the details of his birth. Date, time, location, precise as possible, my dear man. The more we know, the more certain a fix we'll have on our target. And the greater our assurance the ritual will work. Not Dominic? Gabe had asked. Well, no. Your man's an operator. He will have obscured the key details in his file. Stick to Sokolov. Gabe found the file under S, propped it open, and copied the key details into a notebook from his pocket. City of birth, address, date, time. Nice and clear. Hopefully it would help. Every little bit, right? He closed the file cabinet, locked it, tore the notebook page free, folded it small, and slipped it under his watch band. He turned off the lights in the vault before he emerged into the hallway. So far, so good. Look busy. Walk fast. Quick steps, hands in pockets, head down. Turn right to leave the station. Down the front steps. The rest of the world waits past those street-level doors. A chance to make this whole damn mess right. Beyond, Prague sidewalks lay cold and caked with snow and soot. Gabe, far enough away for him to have plausibly misheard. Just a few more steps. He pushed through the double doors into the chill and paced himself as he walked. The steam of his own breath wreathed him. Stay calm. Don't draw attention to yourself. Someone caught his arm. He turned, too sharply for innocence. Josh Toms stood behind him, panting and purple from the run. Josh, you'll get cold without a coat. The kid shook, cold, exertion, and nerves. What are you doing, Gabe? Taking a walk? He stilled his heart, counted time for his breath, kept his eyes on the young man's eyes. He could act normal when needed. I have to clear my head. This thing with Dom... I can't believe he'd betray us. You were in the record's vault. I saw you come out, and you headed straight for the street. Damn. Gabe had been right. The kid was wasted behind a desk. Are you working Sokolov for Morozova? For the flame and the ice? And because Gabe was a professional, he didn't slip. He didn't flee. Didn't slug Josh in the face. He considered for the slightest of instance, palming the notepad page, eating it on the way back to the station. Calculation took the drawing of a breath. 
Josh was scared and desperate, like the rest of them. He knew too much. Where had he learned those names? What had Gabe let slip during his argument with Alistair earlier? But Josh had mentioned Morozova in connection with the ice, which meant, shit, he'd been in the Vodnar. Gabe stepped toward him, spoke low. I'm not working for Morozova, he said. She's working for me. There's a deep game here, Josh, an iceberg game. You only know the tip of it. You're a traitor. I'm not the traitor here. Dom is, and maybe others. I think I can stop him, but I can't do it through official channels. God damn it, Gabe. If Dom soured, if you have proof, Langley has to know. Frank has to know. Josh caught Gabe's wrist and pulled him back toward the embassy. Gabe didn't move. Josh stumbled. Gabe caught his lapel and dragged him closer, face to face, nose to nose. Hair-thin wrinkles crossed the kid's forehead. Gabe had never noticed them before. You think Langley doesn't know? Who sent Dom in the first damn place? Tell me what's going on, Gabe. Pleading. Give me something. He almost did. Damn him, he almost did. What would relief feel like? To tell this kid about the witches and the weird, about the truths Gabe wished he didn't know. Pain shared is halved, Ma used to say. But Gabe had traveled farther, done more, and learned some pains don't have by the sharing. I can't, he said finally. This isn't your game. But I can fix everything if you let me. Josh said nothing. Gabe let him go. I'm going down that street. You don't have to stop me. Sometimes authority is all you have. He turned, walked away. Josh didn't chase him. Tanya wasn't sure what she was expecting when she reached the Vodnar, but the air of the mundane unnerved her. It was business as usual. Witches nursed their drinks over the usual animated arguments about pharmacopoeia, while men in stiff-collared jackets sank into the shadows of the booths. She shifted the satchel on her shoulder, letting its weight against her hip ground her. Normalcy was good. Normalcy was the goal. If they could pull this ritual off, if she could really trust the American, and the ice for that matter, then no one ever needed to be the wiser. Jordan caught her eye from the doorway leading toward the back rooms, toward the chamber that rested atop the confluence of the ley lines. Tanya could almost feel it, vibrating beneath her feet, threading through the components in her bag. She smiled wearily. Jordan pressed her lips together in response and jerked her head toward the darkened corridor. It was time. He is not here yet, Jordan warned her as they made their way into the bowels of the Vodnar. She didn't need to say who. Will he really come? Tanya's own voice sounded faint to her ears. Jordan's teeth clicked together. Depends. Tanya understood. It depended on which Gabe valued more. Being a good little patriot, allergic to any collusion with the Soviets, or saving the world. Well, 
Most Westerners she'd met believed them to be the same thing. Tanya's task was to untwine the two. And now for the holding of breath, to find out if all her developmental work had been for naught. This time, it had been more than just a spy game. She'd meant every word of warning about the flame. Whether Gabe believed her or not was on him. Nadia already sat cross-legged against one wall of the curved chamber. Candlelight cut sharp shadows across her face as she studied Alistair across the room. Alistair, for his part, was making a good show of calm. His hands propped atop the head of his umbrella, and his posture relaxed, but Tanya saw the taut muscles of his neck. Well then, he said, as Tanya and Jordan entered. I suppose we'd best begin. What about Pritchard? Fear coiled tight in Tanya's belly. Without his elemental attunement, the ritual wouldn't be nearly as strong. Alistair exhaled through his nose. I believe he is willing, but the choice is ultimately his. Unlike some, we are not in the business of coercion. He smiled thinly. Now, if you'll kindly prepare the instruments, I think I've found an appropriate passage. You mean to lead the ritual, then? Nadia asked. Well, I hardly think it appropriate for a Rusky to be leading a ritual designed to halt a CIA operative from carrying out an exfiltration operation. Alistair snapped the tip of his umbrella against the stone floor. It's a matter of propriety. Jordan sighed. I don't give a shit about your stupid Western propriety. Let's just get on with it. Wait, I'm here. Tanya's attention snapped to the doorway. Gabe wedged his way past Jordan, his face ruddy, a sheen of perspiration slicking his hair to his brow. The knot in Tanya's stomach went slack. The candlelight shimmered as Gabe made his way into the room and spread out an aeronautical map in the center of the circle. Tanya padded toward him and bit her lower lip. The red classified markings on the paper, the hasty pencil scratches copied from encrypted sources. She'd just persuaded Gabe to turn over state secrets. She should feel elated, but all she felt instead was the grim weight of the task before them. The more hosts the flame collected, the closer they came to realizing their horrible plans. Now, Alistair said, we were just discussing who ought to be leading us here today. Gabe nodded at Alistair, then scanned the gathered crowd. He set his jaw and met Tanya's gaze. Maybe Tanya should lead. All heads whipped toward her. Tanya's whole body quivered. Grandfather had never prepared her to do something so massive as this, something so decisive. Ice magic was a subtle nudge here and there, a steady hand guiding one's path. It was not a fist, decisive and difficult to contest, but that's just what they meant to do here. Tanya let the satchel in her hands sag to the floor with a clank of crystals and stones. Her gaze fell on Nadia but the woman's expression offered no comfort. They were close, but they'd never been in the business of comfort. And neither, Tanya supposed, had the ice. Sokolov pondered the board, and Dom wondered if he'd see the trap. 
Dom had lost the first game and won the second on a fluke misplay he blamed on Sokolov's exhaustion. But he'd have liked to win this game on his own merits. Never count on your enemy's mistake, Grandpa had taught him. Dom wondered, waiting, if he'd ever go back to Florida. Didn't matter one way or the other. He'd never liked the state much. Everyone had to grow up somewhere. No sense letting nostalgia bog you down. He thought he'd set the Russian up proper this time, baiting the trap with a knight apparently exposed to Sokolov's bishop and rook. Dom's own rook guarded the knight, but Sokolov might accept the trade, maintaining his material lead. If Sokolov didn't notice that, by moving his rook, he would place himself in check. If Sokolov attacked with the bishop, Dom could take the bishop with his own rook, and then Sokolov's pinned rook as well. If he tried rook takes knight, the trap wouldn't spring, but at least Dom would gain tempo. Sokolov reached for the bishop, and Dom tried not to look as if he cared. The scientist's fingers closed around the piece. He twisted it in place. His lips thinned. Then, a fist of wind struck the plane. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.